You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey guys, last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women and by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you start to unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free stuff, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. Southern Ground Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge. It's forged in combat and tailored for hunters. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can start your free 14-day trial today by visiting SpartanForge.ai and you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND that's all lowercase, all one word, Southern Ground at checkout, and that'll get you 25% off of your purchase. You're wanting to know more about saddle hunting? Well, check out tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you'd like to support the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, you can visit patreon.com forward slash Southern Ground Hunting. Or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. We offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Southern Ground Hunting. And now, let's get to the show. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Today, our co-host lineup is Drew Robbins. Finally, Hello. well, were you back last week, Drew, or the week before that? No, it was it was, it was the week before, and then um, I knew Adam Cruz was, was going to be on, and I didn't want to be on with him. So, um, <laughs> you, you saw, you know, so. 
I was just like, I'm, I'm going to skip this. Week, fellas. <laughs> and, uh, no, I actually had a five and six year old basketball game, um, which is the worst experience of all time. Um, we got beat 40 to two. So it was awesome. 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 So that's what I did. Fantastic, man. Well, we're glad you're here. We got Luke Parker. Yeah. Over here in the, in the corner, Luke. What is up? How's it going? How's the, how's the baby mama? Baby mama now. Yeah. Expecting a baby in July and she is 20, 21 weeks along and just now starting to feel better. Not nauseous. Praise the Lord, man. That's crazy. (laughs) It's It's crazy. You're going to be a, you're going to be a papa. I know Papa Luke, man. So we couldn't be more excited though. What's the due date? uh, Due date is July 6th. So we could be having a 4th of July baby. Hey, my son's birthday is July 10th. Y'all could be, they may have the same birthday. We may be spending birthday parties together forever in July for the rest of our life. My buddy Austin. Yeah, his, his. Uh, boys' birthdays July tenth as well. So we're Shoot. we're pumped. We can just tell them, hey, um, fireworks and everything. It's it's a national celebration for your birthday. That's why we middle named Hawk Patriot because his mm-hmm. the original due date was July fourth, and we were like, how sick would it be if his name is Patriot? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Then we got yeah, glad to be here. We got Matt Reeves. Matt, how's it going, buddy? Uh, it's going great. Ready to get into this one. Oh yeah, this is going to be a good one. So. Um, we have got David Miller from West Virginia joining us today, and we're going to talk about mountain bucks. David, how's it going, West Virginia? Hey, man, doing great. How are you guys? Fantastic. Doing awesome. You're not doing as good as you, David, as evidenced by um, that reflection in that mirror and everything. I mean, my Lord, I'm thinking about moving to West Virginia. I mean, geez. Yeah. That's Come on uh, up. We got plenty of room. Yeah. <laughs> West Virginia guys are listening to be like, what? Shut up, dude. Be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Stay down there. <laughs> no, but I've been yeah. uh, I've been following along with you, David, for a little while. And um yeah. the thing that caught my attention, which I, I do want to talk about today, is you talk a lot about mountain mountain plots, I think is what you call them, but just uh, statistically, uh, strategically, whatever the word you want to use is, placing these food plots um, mm-hmm. on the in these mountainous areas. Something I haven't heard anybody really talk about a lot, and uh, and I definitely think we're going to pick your brain on that uh, that some sure. today. But before we get into all that, man, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, style of hunting that you do. Obviously, you do a lot of it. You've got an awesome collection of deer heads that, back there behind you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, I grew up here in the the mountains of West Virginia, Um, you know, really started diving into the the archery thing when I was about 13 years old, Uh, took my first buck, uh, a a giant spike (laughs) whenever I was uh, 14. And uh, man, I've, uh, you know, I guess it was probably around the time I was 20 years old when I started to started to kind of up my game and and i wanted to harvest my first pope and young and and i did that year and that's when it all it, it's it's just <laughs> it's just kind of progressed from that and, you know each year you you know each person you grow in your stages and your levels of where what you want to aim for your goals and and that's that's kind of what's led me to to where i am now yeah so tell me like you were you said you were 16 Whenever yeah. you shot yeah. that first Pope and Young, 
Pope and Young Deer? No, no. Oh, no, no, no. I was, actually, I said 20, but I actually I was 19. You were yeah, 19. 19. So 19, 19, you shoot that yeah. first buck. Um, Drew, we've yes. had a lot of guys mm-hmm. on this podcast kind of talk about the same, um, like having that moment where they were just like, you know what? These are the kind of deer I want to shoot forever. Yeah. And uh, there, there always kind of seems to be that moment. What was that moment for you, David, where you were like, you know what? Mm. I like killing deer and yeah. it's always been fun, but like what wh- what was that moment like? What made you make that decision? You know, I've I've always felt, you know, I, that I hunt because I'm I'm a hunter. I feel like that's kind of who I was molded to be and uh, that's kind of my place in in humanity <laughs> that that I'm a hunter. Um but you know the whole trophy aspect of it um you know, I, I, I looked into the reason that Roosevelt, you know, did a lot of things, you know, for our country and why he established some of the, the trophy hunting, um, like, you know, the, the whole Boone and Crockett thing, the whole Pope and Young and done, done right. That is, that is a very good institution because it helps hunting as a whole, you know, it helps to harvest, uh, you know, mature animals out of the herd. There's a lot of good things that go into that. But as far as, as far as my journey, um, I remember a friend of mine took me to a hunter's house that had this huge trophy room over in Ohio and he was a, and he hunted for Hoyt at the time. And I was, this is when I was 20, I was 20 years old. I was, um, I was in college. So one of the DNR, uh, commissioners took me to this guy's house. And when we left, I asked the DNR commissioner, I said, what does somebody have to do to be able to to do what that God does. And he looked at me, he said, you go out every year and you consistently harvest Pope and young, uh, cl- you know, class white tails. He said, and there will be doors open if you do that. And I looked at him and I said, okay. So that was like kind of the start of that, that journey right there. <laughs> so yours was more, you think it was more like a management mindset that you were going into? Like, like, is that kind of what he was, what that biologist was getting at? It was like, this is how you manage for trophy deer. And that's what it was. Was it, was it like you, the, you the started, manage, go ahead. The management came, the management came later, uh, learning to the steps of what it took to be able to, to consistently encounter deer of a certain caliber. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, no, no, what he was talking about was was when you learn to to pursue like old like mature deer it, it gives you skill sets that, yeah. that 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 helps you in the whole journey and, and management is one of those one of one of those uh things my background is uh i'm a biologist by trade um so so i've i've sort of learned about management through through that but most of that was self-taught you know out, out trial and error you, you were talking about you don't hear a lot about the food plotting in uh, in the mountains. And the reason for that is because, man, the soil is just really not suited. There's very uh, a lot of acidity in our soil. Um, so a lot of things to overcome. Uh, but but I think 18 years now I've been working, planning these plots. And in doing so, I figured out species of plants that seemed more adaptable to our region. And I've also figured out the ways to amend the soil and, and actually how to plant cover crops and build the soil, build, build layers of topsoil where there, there was no, 
layer of topsoil before. Drew, you got something? Yes, I'm sorry. I thought I thought you were going to intro me, partner. Um, <laughs> uh, no, so no. Listen, what I was waiting listen. On. When you tell me you got a question, you just go for it, Bubba. I did. I, re- I raised my hand emoji and everything. Um, uh, so, no, what, what, David, what, what, what I was wanting to know, because Parker referenced it earlier, we, we have a lot of guys on that had that moment, you know, where it's like, I'm going to kill big whitetails. Um, right. Yes. Were you brought up in that or were you brought up in the like, hey, man, if it's brown, it's down or you didn't really care what it was? Because what me and Parker have seen is there, there's been a lot of guys where their dad was just like a meat hunter. Or, yeah. you know, if, if a good ball. That's how I grew up. Okay. Yeah, my, okay. Yeah, the, it wasn't really – yeah, my, my dad and uh, – we weren't – he uh, he wasn't really in the picture through my life, but I had a lot of lot of hunters in the area that knew mm-hmm. I loved it and who kind of took me under their wing. And, and back in that – I'm 43 now. So back in the, that day, it was more of a – you know, you yeah, of course you were after that big buck that was in that region <clears> – <throat> The right. thing is, at the same time, if a good solid deer came through, you're you're going to take it. Mm-hmm. But the management mentality, I think, is a is a culture that is is growing within hunting. You know, through, throughout our, our our nation, throughout you know regions, um, some places more prevalent than others. But uh, but yes, to answer your question, I did not I did not start out that way. I started out you know just learning to hunt, learning to. If this was before trail cameras were a thing. Uh, this was before any, you know, all the modern technologies that we have now. This was going out, learning to read the sign, learning to learning your trees, uh, you know, l- learning how deer, the difference, um, how deer travels in years of large mass crops in comparison to mass fails. I mean, just learning that whole, you know, the, the whole dynamic without the technology. And then as technology came into the picture, that sort of exposed what was out there more you could actually see hey oh that it, it actually i think helped helped people wait because if you knew that you know if there was a 150 inch buck you know in a region that you you would have normally like been mm-hmm. you know all gun ho after but if you run your cameras and you see there's a 170 inch deer you're going that that deer is probably you know going to be pushed aside and you're going to focus on that one the, the bigger deer um so you know the the, the technology of the uh, trail camera coming along really changed the game uh, that and electronic topo maps those two mm-hmm. elements trail cameras and like onyx maps mm-hmm. uh, the all the all the maps that we have access to now man total game changers yeah total game and we can i'd like to talk more about that if you if you all want to here in a bit uh, just about the whole the whole topo thing uh, the topography, learning to read the maps. Uh, do you guys do you guys do a lot of that down yeah. your way? Yes. Yeah, we do. Okay. It, it's yeah, yeah. uh, it's pretty. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, with the exception of like a lot of the plots, is going to be very similar to how a lot of people down here, um, yeah. a lot of people in the southeast hunt, even if it's not maybe as, um, like we were talking about, it maybe it's not as high elevation as what you have. A lot right, of it's still right. hunted the same way, and so I think a lot of your, um, a lot of your yeah. knowledge on that is going to be really good. But you're talking about like the the management and and how far management has really come. Like even even so much as to say, I'm not going to shoot a spike, or 
I'm not going to shoot a four point. That's coming a long mm-hmm. ways from what it what it was. Like what for was. public land guys, um, like there's really decent management practices happening even on even on public land. You know where there is. guys are challenged. They may not be necessarily managing it on purpose, but they're yeah. they're driven kind of by the challenge of like I'm. I'm out here. I worked this hard to get here. I want to shoot a good buck out here. And so I think that you're exactly right. Even people who we may not consider to be, you know, uh, high, what would you deer managers, I guess. Um, some people might even call them brown is down hunters, but they even have some element of that, that management aspect. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there was, there was a season, you know, here a few years ago through this progression that, that there was a a large division between the hunting realm and and it's still there to an extent because you'll have one group of hunters saying, Oh, why did you shoot either that young deer or why did you shoot that small deer? Um, You know, and and then you got the hunters that say, I'm, I'm just out hunting for me, you know, but the thing is, I think there's starting to be that start, that gap is starting to bridge some, I think hunters are starting to realize that different people do it for different reasons and, and they're, everybody's journey is different because everyone has different goals. And, and I think people are starting to understand that and, and starting to, you know, the meat hunters are being okay with the trophy hunters, trophy hunters being okay with the meat hunters and them trying to work, you know, try, trying to work together, I guess you could say. It is so funny. Have you, have y'all ever seen this where uh, like, I see this a lot in the Facebook groups where you see the same names in, in all the different groups. Let's say you got mobile hunters United group, and then you've got the hunting beasts forum members and pretty much it's just two groups with the same exact people in it. Um, and, and, uh, so you'll have like a crossbow conversation comes up and people are just bickering and fighting and, throwing shade yeah. at everybody <laughs> yeah. and you're like i don't yeah. i'm gonna remember that name i don't like that guy and then on the other forum uh tree stand versus saddle conversation comes up and you and him are on the same side of that you're like man that guy's all right he, he's pretty cool <laughs> so there's like all these different like miniature miniature fights going on within it and yeah. realistically you're probably closer even like a meat hunter and a guy like yourself, y'all, y'all probably align on other issues, you know, that, yeah, <laughs> that oh, we are, do. We do. It's, it's so like, funny. I, and I try, I personally try to, I love any opportunity I get to bridge that gap, whether it be like, a, uh, there was a hunter here at one, this is when I re- it really started to come together in that, in our region, there was a hunter that had went through this intense, uh, brain, he had brain cancer. And, and it was like you had all these hunting groups that were, they would be nice to each other to their face, but behind their backs, they were slamming each other. But through that, it was like we all pulled together to help him. And at that moment, we actually all got to hang out on a, on a, on a higher level. You know what I mean? Uh, on something that was very more mean, much more meaningful than killing big deer. And uh, we all pulled together to help him and his family. And through that, man, divisional walls were just destroyed and, and like through through people coming together like through organizations like help, hunters helping the hungry and like things like that man I, people look i think we can see beyond the uh the little things that that divide us as hunters yeah yeah absolutely for sure yeah 
Luke, are you there? Hey, Luke. Luke. <laughs> You're supposed to talk now, Luke. Y'all are gonna make like y'all are I, gonna make me uh, have to edit a podcast. I'm sorry. Look, I just you're, gonna to, you're gonna have to pay attention over <laughs> well, here. No, I'm not over here. So, yeah, I, I've got a question to actually go back on, um, like your Greenfield setup through plots. Sure. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. Uh, a, a few years, let's see, this will be my third year. I kind of went down the trail. I don't know. Do you watch, um, I think it's channels, uh, Whitetail Habitat Solutions? Jeff Sturgis. Uh, the guy. Oh, Jeff Sturgis. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, um, the thatch layer and, um, and the whole, like, good seed to soil contact, all, all that <clears> stuff <throat> I got into. Oh, yeah. Um, because I didn't have, like, big equipment. And so yeah, I just, I don't either. Down. I do all of my stuff by hand and by ATV. Yep. So no teal. You're okay. Good. No so teal. everything. Yeah. yeah. I learned a lot from, uh, I was, I, w- I worked a little bit with Grant Woods in the past and uh he he does the growing deer tv thing and uh his methods oh and jeff sturgis those those guys are are who i sort of model what i do and i kind of have had to modify to you know to adapt to the challenges within the mountains so that's it's a little bit of a niche thing that i'm doing with that but but yeah it's the definitely no till all the way yeah that's awesome yeah i was just curious because when you started talking about the food plots i was like i wonder if he does the no till stuff oh yeah Um, and which the with no the, teal, no the disc. yep yeah which with the soil being like super acidic up there like you said I started mm-hmm. running like a, a ton of soil samples and I, I would just kind of test different things or, or different um, fertilizers you know lime and stuff like that but um, oh, yeah. I, I was kind of curious like up in the mountains the, the successful like when you when you had that moment where you had the food plot mm-hmm. or the setup that you were like this is it this is successful I was cu- I'm curious to what what that would be you know the the food plots I found would would I say that the the like the food plots that I plant are my are my game changers no they are just an element in the process that that help that helps piece keep of the puzzle Yes, hell, a piece of the puzzle. That's exactly right. There's, there's no. I have no one secret. It's, it's a lot of different elements, you know, in my process that I, I contribute to to any success that I've had. Um, planning these plots, uh, it, it helps. You know, it, it depends on what your property is, how much space you have, and your the deer ratio, how much they're going to browse it. <laughs> because a lot of these small small plots, um, gosh, they just they, they get hammered because there's no other fields in the region so when it's when it's time for them when they want to come to those fields they just they dominate them i mean these are small plots uh, anywhere from you know an eighth of an acre all the way you know up to in our area a a two to three acre plot is is pretty large for sure now are these are these plots that you're are they kill plots or are they just there to be a food source for the deer I have different ones. The larger ones I try to make for nutrition and, and food as a food source. And then the smaller ones I try to make for, for shop plots. And I've found like uh, a different, like I said, different species, like uh, for instance, remember this Durana clover. If you're, if you're mm-hmm. familiar with that, you know, instead of being a, a seed, a stem and a, and a clover, you have a seed which grows into a viney uh stolon called a stolon yeah and and can produce up to 24 clovers off of one seed 
So and, and instead of lasting, you know, three to three to six years like some clovers, Durana lasts anywhere from eight to eleven. So finding the spit the right species that are adaptable, like that was genetically modified for cattle grazing in small areas. So think about that. You have a small food plot, you soak it down with Durana and get it established. You can you can have a nice, you know, forageable uh food source out there in the middle of nowhere that's a small little plot man that is wild like pretty cool like just learning that little i like i feel like just with that little tiny little piece of like you called it durana clover it's like it's like all right like next time somebody's like i planted a clover field i'm be like oh yeah well was it durana clover because that (laughs) because that is the stuff (laughs) yeah 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 things but learning learning that like you know and like a red clover red clover will take you further into the winter a white clover will establish earlier in the spring so what i'm trying to do a lot of these places if even if i just have several little small plots i try to create a 365 day you know optional food source for 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 sure yeah try to carry them through yeah. And that's super encouraging. Um, and that was all that I had um, just off top. But um, that's super encouraging because I had no big equipment. And it's cool to see, you know, successful guys yeah. like yourself that is doing the no-till stuff with no big equipment. And you make it make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely can. Just, you know, and planting those cover crops like in the spring, you know, bringing some, some milo and some sorghum. And if you don't have any cover, you know, planting some of those species, allowing those to, to grow up, fall over and rot and create an organic layer, uh, man, you can build, you can actually build your own topsoil. And, and those covers, they're, they're really good to help shade your, uh, as like a nurse crop to help shade yep. your, yep. the plants you're yep. trying to establish. Oh yeah. For sure. Yeah, that's, yeah. Works, works really well in the mountains. Yeah. Well, I, I've got a quick question kind of based off of your food plots. Um, I've always enjoyed having the small kill plots, you know, go in, kill a deer, yeah. you know, in and out. But the problem that I've ran into is with having these smaller fields, these deer are more cautious coming into the fields. Um, yeah. They're just kind of like, it's a small, small confined area, kind of like, hey, what's what's going on? So my question to you is kind of like, how, how did your deer react? How do you keep, you know minimal pressure in these areas and when you go in when you know the right time to go in and say hey this mature buck's using this small area how do you go in there without you know messing him up and making him not feel comfortable anymore oh yeah gosh there's so many things that came to my mind when you said that Mm -hmm. um let me start by saying that one of the most key elements to the uh, to any of those deer that you you see on my wall are is is access how you enter how you leave. I mean, that is absolutely imperative. I have one track of land. It is, uh, that I hunt me and a couple buddies have leased. Um, that is 560 odd acres. We hunt and disturb 40 acres of it. We are, how we enter, we just go around the fringes and we have little access routes poking, poking in. We never go into that nucleus, like into the center of it. We never, ever set foot in it. It is a true sanctuary. Even so, even off season and everything? Like, well, one time a year, we'll go shed hunt. I gotcha. Once a year. One time, one time a year. That's, and then that's it. We're in and out. 
That's it. We passed through it one time. Hmm. Yep. Yep. So, so creating those, those no zones, those areas you do not enter. And I, and I have a rule. This, this helps a lot of people as much as probably anything I ramble about <laughs> this, this one element. A lot of people will have, um, they will have areas where they supplemental feed in this region because you're allowed to here in West Virginia. Uh, and th- but this applies to anything, uh, like any, any area you're going into. I never, if I'm going to go into an area to check a trail camera or put out supplemental feed or, uh, fresh and minerals, I never, ever go into those areas two and a half, well, really three hours after daylight and two to three hours before dark. I never, never, I only go midday. If I'm going to scout an area, I even like to go when there's a, a, a drizzle of rain. If I'm going to scout an area, I'm going to be targeting a big buck. If I'm going to go in and look for, look for some fresh sign. I, I mean, I'm very careful about how I enter and how I act, how I leave. And so that, I mean, that's obviously going to be, uh, like when, when you're being that cautious, right. And, and I hear a lot of guys talk about being cautious with their access or their, uh, scent control. Um, but like you're literally not going into a spot unless the wind is perfect. If you're doing all this forethought, uh, I would assume, forethought of you know your access and how you enter and how you exit and not going into certain parts of it then your wind in these areas you're only hitting them whenever it's absolutely perfect is that would that be right oh yeah yeah and when and when i when i hunt i i don't hunt a lot but i scout a lot uh i have uh, i have options i try to have as many options as i can optional stands and but i i don't just go and sit if i go and sit in a stand it's because I am pretty confident I'm going to get a shot at the deer I'm after. I don't just go hunt to be hunting, like letting my presence be known. You know what I mean? So, Sometimes you do. Sometimes you have to go give it a try, see what's going on, because you can get a feel for kind of the flow and the movement of what's going on in the woods. But at the same time, I, I very rarely do that. So I'm Very selective. Of with that being the case, though, I, I would think – or at least it would it would lead me to believe that maybe you have do you have a lot of land that you have access to be able to hunt to be able to make those decisions uh, like that not a tremendous i have i was trying to think of exactly i had it figured out the other day um i'm i'm a part of four i think it's four one two three four laces and they range anywhere from uh 450 to I'm on a few larger leases, but there's a lot of people on those. And right. they are honestly, they're more pressured and I don't do as well on those as I do the ones with less people. But this terrain hunt, hunting here, if you have a thousand acres, keep this in mind, you really have huntable area of that thousand acres because of the steepness of the terrain. You probably have, out of a thousand acres, you probably have 150 acres to hunt. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and, and, yeah. and with that, you're having to make uh, like, that's where the mountain plots and things like that, yes. making, making the most of those small yeah. little area. I think a lot of people forget. I know for me, whenever I go hunt a big mountainous area, 
I mean, I'll cover three miles or something walking and I've only hit like one ridge and one mountain and one, you know, one little, it, it feels like just one little spot that I've pretty much scouted sure. that whole mountain, but it was yeah. three miles. I mean, I think it's easy to forget about that when you see on paper, oh, there's 20,000 acres here. Well, that can shrink really quick in steep terrain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can cover, uh, yeah, you can, you can cover ridges and, and you've walked that ridge. And even though, like you said, it's 20,000 acres, that, that one ridge will, you've only covered a little portion of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's right. That's good stuff, yeah. man. Yeah. David, I, yeah, this, this is all great stuff. Cause this is actually very, um, we've, we've had a couple mountain guys on from, you know, West Virginia and different places. And you're the first one that's talked about food plots in the mountains, <laughs> um, which is yeah. just, it's just interesting. Um, one, one of my questions is, um, when it, when it comes to food plots, what do you look for in placement? Like, um, so is, is it a bench? Um, do you use Onyx to look at that? I, I know we yeah. talked about that earlier. Um, and then also, do you, do you take into account uh, mass and, and like hard or soft mass? And then do you put food plots up against that or do you, will you hunt that separately? Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, completely. Great completely. question. That was a really good question. Uh, yeah, that, that is a great question. Um, you know, honestly, in these mountains, uh, because of the uh, because of the the terrain, you you've only got so many places you can plant. So honestly, what I really look for the main factor is light. Is places that makes will sense. Allow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, allow enough sunlight in because of the foliage. Um, David, isn't that called photosynthesis? Isn't that what it's called? Yes. Oh man, I'm on it tonight, fellas. Yeah. You are man. all on it. You gotta have that sunlight. You That's gotta all I got Doctor Drew. <laughs> yeah. Plus, of having kids. Cool. <laughs> yeah, Drew just helped his daughter with a photosynthesis science fair project. That's the only reason nah. he knows that. Doesn't matter yeah. how I know it, fellas. It just matters that I know it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he's, he's got it. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. But yeah, these these plots, they're it's it's interesting. Like uh, to me, I love man just the the interaction with working the ground, man. Get getting being a part of it and the, like putting the work in, and then coming back and just seeing the life come from it and seeing it supporting wildlife. Man, it's rewarding. If you if you've never done it, if you're out there and you're listening to this, if you've never done it, pick out a small track and, and just just give it a give it a shot. Um, uh, there's a lot of good resources to get online. Um, I, I'm going to be posting some stuff uh, like some steps to help people along their way. Um, some YouTube stuff, uh, just general general YouTube mm. stuff. Like if you want to go out plant a food plot just try this if you're not going to go take a soil sample you're not going to you know do do some of those uh precursor things there mm. there are still some steps you can take and i do a lot of times I, i've kind of i've done it for a while now i've got a, a feel i can go out look at a place and if it's not a large plot uh, man i'll I, I will i will throw three to four hundred pounds per acre of uh triple 19 fertilizer i'll put about uh per acre 500 pounds of pelletized lime mm-hmm. and uh wait for a good rain and and another thing i always encourage people you have to wipe out the natives you nothing you plant will 
will outcompete the natives that are already growing there. So that has to be your first step. Go in, wipe the natives, put your uh, put your lime down sixty. You know, you pelletize lime about sixty days before you plant. Then, honestly, you can you can wait until the day. I do at least. I I put my fertilizer down the same day. You know, for to sure. save time. The same day I'll seed. I'll go ahead and fertilize and uh, and wait for a good rain. Yeah. Yeah. Now with that too, David, going, going back to the placement, um, yep. you use Onyx for it, um, hard yes. and soft mass, but also one of the thoughts I just had too was being in that mountainous, I mean, thermals are huge there. Okay. So do you, do you take thermals into consideration when putting a plot in? Um, no, not necessarily, but, but the okay. way that I'm going to approach and hunt that always. Right. Oh, ab- absolutely. And here's another thing as far as thermals go. Like, for instance, say I'm planting a food plot in the belly of a hollow. Mm. Like, like if I'm planting in the belly of a hollow, I'll know that I need to factor in those thermals pulling downhill in the, in the, in the evenings. So that will that will determine where, how I'm going to approach trying to hunt, you know, trying to set up a hunting setup. If I am going to have the plot, some plots I will plant with no intention to hunt because I'm going to hunt the transition between that plot and bedding. So, you know, it just, it depends on the scenario. A lot of it terrain determines a lot of that, you know, where I'm able to be able to plant. And then based off that, where's the deer wanting to bed. And then that that's how I strategize where to set up. Well, and I can okay. think. Oh. I was no, just, go ahead, Bart. Cause I, was, I, I think me and you about to ask the same thing. Well, I can imagine um, I, I, and I don't have a ton of, um, I really don't have any property that's like privately owned that I would even have necessarily the ability to, um, manage myself. Uh, sure. but my dad's property is a good example. Dad, my dad's got a small piece of property in East Texas and it's flat. And mm-hmm. even in that flat land, he put in a small plot this year. And there was like a, like a half acre piece of land in that 30 acres, basically, that he could even put one at because of the things that you mentioned. In his case, it's water, not so much terrain, but it's water. Um, and gotcha. then the, just these thick areas. And so a lot of times going to what Drew, back to what Drew was saying, I, I would imagine you probably can't think of everything other than can a plot even survive here? Is that kind of what you're saying? Like that's the first and probably most important thing that you have to look yeah, at. I think, I think that may be one of the most intimidating uh, parts to people. Whenever they look at the soil and they just, they'll go up to a place that's been scalped, that is flat, that has been mined and there's no cover on it. And it's just, honestly, it looks like just a big rocky mess. But I'll say this, this year I went out and I planted one. Uh, this was a like an acre and a half for, for a friend. He had been after this big buck, went out and helped him. And, uh, and he got it standing right in the middle of that plot this year. Hmm. It was like two, two, had five drop times, 205 eighths inches. No, no, like November 4th, November 4th, it came through, made a scrape right in the middle of the field and he killed it right there. So, I need to know the seed that was planted there, if you don't mind. 
specific blend. Yeah, Durana yeah. clover. Yeah. I, and that, <laughs> and that, there was a lot of Durana clover. Is that old yeah. Durana? And that's there super was. cool um, because like the, the, soil, the soil test and yes. getting that tested, that's so important. And I was going to ask. Um, it is. It is. We're talking about the puzzle pieces because, you know, whether hunting private or public, you've got different puzzle pieces that fit the big picture, whether that be food or bedding or yes. cover. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, do you, are you doing other things to, to help with the whole picture come together? So um, whether that be, I know you're doing food plots, but like, sure. are you creating, try, yeah, are yeah. you cr- trying to create bedding? Are you trying to create, you know, travel corridor stuff like that to to get the deer on your property and stay on your property and to keep them there right that that would i would say that is the one of the number one limiting factors on a lot of land in west virginia is uh is there are a lot or there is a lot of like mature hardwood forest where the deer don't stay they just pass through to go to the the neighbor your neighbor's land that has a that has been timbered <laughs> yes. has, has a ticket. yeah but you know i do some of that where i'm able to but i'll say this some of the land a decent amount of the land that i hunt is are are some leases with that are owned by land companies and they don't allow any of that the good gotcha. thing is, about that is they will they do have areas with select cut you know select timbered areas that will grow <laughs> up and have the browse but but on private land that I help people with, that is probably one of the the number one limiting factors is is not having enough cover. When you when you step into the woods this time of year, you can literally I, I can step like I need that done on my personal land out here. I need to, I've I've had a few logging companies come in and look at the timber. I can go out in my field and I can see through the timber from the holla. Uh, I mean from 750 foot elevation to 1500 foot elevation i can see straight through from the bottom to the top <laughs> so that's a problem that's a, that's sure. a major problem yeah and a lot like you were saying uh parker i think you said that you hunt a lot on uh public land and stuff man a lot of public land in west virginia they they have not done a lot of timber timbering and, and had a lot of timber management they need that we need more of that you know, in our state, uh, we need more early successional growth within our uh, uh, WMAs, within our uh, national forest land that we can hunt. We we need that timber improvement. Now, I've heard I've heard people talk about, and maybe some of you guys will know this. I've heard people talk about, like on federal public lands, um, you can they don't mind if people go and plant food plots. Huh. I've heard that in the past. Have you guys ever heard that? I haven't. I don't know the oh, legal. I, I don't know the legality. I don't actually know if it's true, uh, but I have heard people say that before. That'd be interesting to know. Um, There's some land around here where it's it's on um, um, public land where uh, they will provide the seed for you, and the, and they oh, have wow. designated food plot areas, but oh, they're yeah. not going to go in and plant it. Like you, you have to you have to go do it. Oh, that's a um, good program, though. I like that. That maybe yeah. that's what I've heard is that they'll, they'll, they, but it has to be in that designated spot. Because um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I mean, just sitting here thinking about like going uh, going out on on a public piece, 
And I think the the con to that is other people get to hunt that plot that you put right. in or whatever. Right. Um, other people benefit, but that's just kind of the whole con of public land hunting in yeah. the first place. And and just to be honest, Parker, I've I've actually on some of the public that that we hunt in certain areas. Um, there's there's two or three plots that I know of that I've driven by and seen, and no one wants to plant it for that very reason right there. You mm. know, because it, it, it's like. Um, it's the only green in um, two square miles and everything else is, you know, <laughs> like hardwoods, you know, yeah, and, and so it's, it. it's, yeah, it's, it's either going to get hammered. Now, now, Matthew, I think on some more Southern stuff, um, uh, it, don't y'all have some, um, so, some of that same stuff down there? Yeah. Um, a lot of these WMAs will, will have a planting program and actually plant, uh, but that's WMAs. Now for National mm-hmm. Forest, there's there's a couple of big big strips that they'll plant, and actually on one of them that I hunted a little bit further south, um, they didn't plant it for a couple of years, and some guys got together on a page and actually got with the uh, national forest to ask them if they could plant it, hmm. um, but they had a lot of issues with one the liability of them being out there with their equipment hmm. and trying to plant it, and also bringing in invasive species from other properties. Um, down in the south, we battle with cogan grass and other, you know, moving kudzu. So, say if you're on your piece of private and you use your equipment and you then get that seed on your equipment, you're sure. bringing that to the National Forest where they're trying to eradicate that. Um, so, there's a lot of components that come in with that. It'd be great if we could, but like mm. you said, Drew, if somebody see somebody working real hard and they put on all that time you know joe over here comes and sits right in the middle of it that you know there's going to be some some bickering back and forth yeah yeah you're gonna have ladder stands up on every corner every, every other tree <laughs> there's gonna be a tree stand every other tree you're gonna get there and open and be like what the junk man <laughs> yeah um but all that all that to say this you know the effectiveness of what you do and as much time and work and as much as I hear you talk about or post about these mountain plots, there are um, just naturally growing uh, food sources like that in the mountains on public land. Yeah. There's natural stuff like that. Um, yeah. are, are there things where you're at that just are natural that you would compare to uh, that you find you're like, I'm not even going to plan anything here because this is already here. Is there anything like that that you run into? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like, like green briar and, uh, got saw briars like the late season. Oh my gosh. Yeah. A honeysuckle, you know, a lot of, a lot of species like that are really good for browse and late, late season. Uh, they'll feed, you know, the, the timbered areas are great. They'll have, they'll have a lot of little stems and seed pods, for the deer you know that that produces fiber which which creates heat so the deer's body doesn't stress through the winter um yeah a lot of a lot of things like that and then it, when green up comes gosh a, a lot of people don't realize a lot of the native plants have a lot more nutrition in them than what they think <laughs> yeah so yeah 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 100 yeah and i always tell people where you can mow there are areas you don't necessarily have to plant plots like sometimes you can enhance the the vegetation that's already there by by mowing and then then fertilize it a little bit for sure uh, yeah it's really effective hmm. that's uh that's something good to to talk to for us to talk about right there i think because 
realistically, David, most of the stuff that we talk to the, or the people that we talk to um, and the things that we talk about are going to be uh, kind of geared towards the public land hunter. And yeah. and yeah. I think well, trying to find, like like I say it so much, trying to find those parallels in what you're doing and sure. what what some of those guys do. That being said, a lot of people may hunt public land but still have access to private land. People like you, Matt, um, well, pretty much all three of you guys that are here, except for me, uh, have access to pretty good chunks of, of private that you can, that you can manage. I have, there, there are some areas that, that like so, certain, like you were talking about, like WMAs, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to alter the habitat in any way, shape or form, but there are areas like you guys were talking about in those areas that where you can do some things instead of going out and planning, like putting all the time and effort and the, the money into planning a plot, man, you could, I've, I have done this before. I have strapped a, a, a weed, weed eater or a hand sickle and went back into some remote areas and, and cut, cut that vegetation a couple of times in a season. And man, it, at that, that new growth coming from the, the plants that I've cut, it's, it's unbelievable how much more those deer will be attracted to those areas. And you can see fresh, that fresh growing stuff. You yes. can see it's that like, if you yes. go to clear cut, for example, and you walk the bush hog trail or the, the logging road trail where they ran all their equipment through or whatever, um, or even yeah. on a lot of these WMAs, <laughs> they'll have bush hog trails around, you know, different areas just so people can get back. And yeah. I mean, don't you always see those deer tracks in those, in those concentrated spots? Like it's just all that fresh growth, man. That's, yeah. that's, that's pretty cool. Um, to think yeah. about that. Now I want to yeah. know for you, um, is, and, and you kind of covered it a while ago, uh, just talking about how each plot might have its, um, purpose. Some of your bigger plots are going to be, uh, just yes. for nutrition and just to keep deer in the area. And then some of your smaller ones, maybe, uh, maybe kill plots. Is there certain things, um, like different things that you plant in, for each of those scenarios? Uh, you know, for my nutritional plots, uh, a lot of times I will try to establish a perennial. So I can go in there and get it established. And there's a few perennials. I do exactly what I told you. It's hard to get back into these areas. I will, I will backpack my, my weed eater back in and cut like an acre and a half. I'd like to keep the, the weeds out of my clover you know, established clover perennials. So yeah, usually if I'm trying to make a staple plot, like for spring, summer to provide nutrition, you know, a good source of protein, I will, I will put a, a good clover blend together. And then, you know, if I'm trying to hunt a shot plot or, you know, and to carry me into winter, I always go with, you know, it's what everybody does, you know, just the, the classical brassica, like the, like your, uh, rape, purple top turnip, seven top turnip, um, and, uh, and daikon radish, you know, those, all, all those together is what sure. I use for, you know, for a, like a winter fall winter scenario, but diversity, anytime you plant these, I always, I always add a little bit of clover into my winter mix because, uh, diversity is king. If you can, mm. you know, create diversity there's a 
what they call symbiotic relationship. The, uh, the plants actually help each other grow like the, you know, the nodules, the rhizomes on the, uh, the bumps on the, the roots of a clover produces nitrogen and it helps feed the other plants. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's interesting. And I, I think, uh, for, for me, I've always been interested because you see like when that, whenever white oaks are dropping and you got acorns on the ground, yeah. um, oh. you have a bean field over here that deer have been eating at all <laughs> summer. But when those acorns They're start gone. dropping, those deer will be there in the daylight. Right. So there's, yeah. so there's something Correct. about that food source that yes. brings yes. them yes. to into daylight movement around that yeah. specific food source. And I was just curious to know if, if there was any type of like different things that you feel like maybe ups your odds of daylight movement um, as far as like things that you can plant. Um, does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. You're talking about trying to compete with the an- or trying to compete with uh, soy, like a soybean. Yes. Yeah. Something that, something never, that. With, honestly, with acorns and soybeans, I have found there's not much you can do. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but here's what I have found. Here's what I have found. I have found that if you, if you plant this, it kind of works really good if you've got acorns and soybeans, because what will happen is those acorns and soybeans will allow the species that you're planting to establish. So then when the farmer comes and harvests all the soybeans, you're going to have the only game in town unless there's acorns. And then at that point, some years we have acorns all year, but then some years like this year, we only had acorns for like three weeks. So once those were consumed by the deer and the turkey and the bear, man, the deer were on the plots. They were, and the good thing was that allowed the, that allowed the plots like to establish, you know, uh, a lot of people don't know like uh, 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 this about acorns. A lot of people think, Oh, I got acorns. So I'm going to have big horns, but, but <laughs> a deer to reach its genetic potential, like it needs 16 to 22% ballpark, uh, 16 to 22% protein from, you know, from basically April to mm-hmm. September. Right. And then, you know, carrying through the winter, uh, you know, it needs more carbs and stuff, but, uh, the, as far as the, from a protein standpoint, acorns have two right around 2% protein, very, yeah. even lower, a, a lower yield than corn. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so yeah. So and the, the, uh, as far as, you know, building body mass and the protein element, uh, acorns are not helping you. I heard Grant Woods, <laughs> Grant Woods said one time, he said, he said, I, if it were up to me, I would go out on a piece of property and just cut every oak tree there, and then I will create the, the forage for him. <laughs> Interesting. Because for yeah. guys like us. Yeah. I don't know if Grant Woods ever hunted Alabama. Oaks are everything. <laughs> it's the same way I feel about West Virginia. <laughs> okay, hold on. This is Matt. Matt, go ahead while, while I collect myself from the previous yeah. statement. Go, go yeah, ahead. So, so I'm, I'm kind of – consumed with oak species and that, that's my field of work actually and yeah. so i'm i'm in the mountains all the time and yes. people will say hey the acorns are dropping but they're they're not the right acorns dropping you know you have your red oaks your white oaks and then yeah. in in our mountainous areas chestnut oak is probably the most most seen Prevalent. oak that's yeah to, just just, yeah. just growing there that's but here. yep from my experiences the acorn is so big that the deer down here don't eat them. Oh, they eat them. And I, 
I don't know if that's the case for you. That's kind of what I was seeing because I can walk in the woods today and there's chestnut acorns everywhere. Um, Mm. And they just don't, they don't eat them. We have here in Southern, I've primarily hunted Southern West Virginia and the the areas I hunt, there's four, there's four counties that, uh, Oh yeah. Getting to be more, more and more known, but there are four bow. You could thank the untamed boys for that. So we'll, we'll go ahead and name drop them. We've got them on so far. So. I, I know them all well. Kirk lives right up the road from me. That's awesome. uh, but yeah, I know, know them all well. Kirk That's awesome. And, Josh and all the boys. Oh, yeah. Know them all really well. Um, but yeah, Southern West Virginia has the four bow only counties. Real, really special place. But there has been an explosion of bear in these counties in the past years. Uh, probably past six years, it's really gotten out of hand. But I've found wherever the uh, you're talking about the acorns, wherever those those wonderful white oaks and those black oaks, wherever they are, the bear will be there, and they will kind of push the deer out. And in some of those places, they will be they will be feasting on those those chestnut oaks and those red oaks. Okay. Yeah, that's that's interesting because we uh, the further south we go, we've got I guess all your what your bear would be to us are pigs and they, <laughs> right. oh, they, yeah, 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 they yeah. eat everything and they run the deer off too. So that's oh, kind of wow. the competition between the two. Um, wow. They're mean. Interesting. Uh, that, yeah. That's pretty neat. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. That's it. Okay, so go, going back to the whole, um, we hate acorns and everything. Um, um, <laughs> so if it's only 2% protein, then because yep. I've, I've seen them, literally walk through my corn pile through my food plot well, and go right right to the white oh, oak it, it, why it, is that oh yeah, yeah no, no, I, I didn't mean to make it sound like they don't like them no the thing is, <laughs> i think you're the, wrong you just lost so much credibility with all of our listeners when you're like deer hate them no deer hate oh my gosh no 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 I'm, i was talking about from the nutritional standpoint trying yeah. to get that deer to reach its max potential a- in antler size. Right. Right. That's, yep. where, that's okay. where it needs. You got to have that pro the, the protein built, you know, helps to build the body mass just like right. a human, you know what yeah. I mean? Cause so, no. I know. Yeah, no, I was, I was just saying for, I know like Parker was saying, uh, me, uh, Matthew and Luke hunt private and public. And so this year while, while, we we had a ton of acorns. I mean, yeah. we we had so while, while you only had like three weeks is what you said. We've had like six months. Um, yeah. it seems like you know. Yeah. And, and, and so the past five years has been like that for us. Really yeah. hard mass years. But no, the 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 acorns are super attractive. Yeah, they they want them. It's it would almost be like acorn if you're if you're really depending on acorns being your main source of nutrition. Like as far as a nutritional mm-hmm. standpoint, it would be like looking at Arnold Schwarzenegger and saying, "Hey, I want you every day to go out and eat um, candy bars and carbohydrates, and I want you to make your body reach its max potential." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. It's basically the, it's it's a carbohydrate. It's a it, the fats, you know, within the uh, uh, you know that they, they just love it. It's like eating candy to them. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, love, they love the acorns. But, but as far as if you're managing a pro, trying to manage a property from, uh, and, and you're looking from a nutritional standpoint, acorns are, are, are not really 
what is making the deer reach its max potential in terms of antler size. Okay, well, and that's so, why and body at the beginning size, and body size. Yeah, and that's why it just narrows down to like what you said is diversity is key. Yes, diversity. Gotta have mm-hmm. it. Gotta have it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the good right. thing is, you know, usually the acorns, a lot of them are, are scrapped up. They're gone by by the the, the spring. The, really, when you need that that protein, when it has to be there, is 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 real. I just wanted to point out that a lot of people think the reason they have big horns is because they have all these acorns, and it's it's not the case. Yep, absolutely. That's that's the point I was trying to make. Maybe the the, <laughs> the acorns may inspire, like what we talked about. It may inspire the day daylight movement. A little bit more because they just want it they just want it because it's like candy uh and that's why we think that that's it it makes it hard to hunt here in in the years where there's a lot of mass because what will happen in the daylight the deer when they they do move during daylight they'll just get up and move around the area of their bedding and lay back down yeah oh yeah because they got a bazillion acres around them. they got a bazillion acres right there by yeah. them why would they want to go anywhere it's like yeah, yeah and that like was Willy Wonka's <laughs> chocolate factory for them yeah have, yeah have, have, have you guys heard the the term like have people the people use the term like the october lull mm-hmm. down your way mm-hmm. yeah do you yeah. experience that or not really we experience it in in alabama so our ruts so ridiculously weird it's crazy and all like yeah, yeah. there's deer right now that are in full rut right yeah. now, you know, oh, almost yeah. March. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so yeah. like where I hunt is going to be December is like the main rut. Um, that that's when you're going to find the most buck activity, daylight movement, chasing, it's going to get crazy. And so our sure. quote unquote lull is going to be November. Um, wow. but, but November can still be pretty good if you've got a good, uh, a good, idea of where these hot feed trees are at october and november can both be pretty solid yeah and just just to parker's point i actually killed both of my bucks in november and Mm. didn't see nothing else in the month of december you know and uh i know matthew basically killed them from the first time the season opened to the last day of the season i mean he was killing deer everywhere you know (laughs) uh but (laughs) yeah uh, but I mean, honestly, that's that's how it is here. Is that I mean, you can you can you can hunt the rut year round. Um, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yes. Like here, like here, I personally, I I can't. I'm not a fan of like the rut hunting. I'm uh, I, I just I don't know. It's it's David. Not, you are not, blowing my mind, man. Like you're I blowing. I do not like, like this. Is rut. Crazy. I don't. I love this rut. conversation. The, with which <laughs> you you me nuts you I mainly you mainly bow hunt right i mainly bow hunt okay so i i will attest to, to you on that i used to all i used to do is bow hunt and the rut drove me crazy when all i did was bow hunt because you just got to run around crazy and you can't do anything everywhere yeah and i if i the thing is like my whole thing is i'm trying to i love pre-rut don't get me wrong but but the thing is the buck I've spent like all summer, early, early fall, and through the fall, that buck I have been patterning. Once he starts to rut, all that patterning, all that work, goodbye. Cause he can it, be three miles sure. away. County's over. <laughs> so do you wait? Let me ask you this. So if you don't, because um, I know what you're talking about with that, like what Matthew was saying, if you don't kill it um, in early season, are you just basically kind of trying to wait till end of season where bucks will come back, get to a good food source and on your property? 
I, I hunt the rut. Don't get me wrong. But here's mm. the thing. I'm, I mean, as far as trying to pattern that buck, that's like my style of hunting is uh, my style of hunting is I don't, I don't, like I said, hunt just to be hunting. I hunt because I feel like that deer is going to be there that day. Like that month, the month, whenever I go in there that evening to hunt, I, I'm very confident that deer is going, the deer I'm after is going to come by. Um, and, and, you know, I'm out, I'm out looking at, I'll go out in the early season. I run about 60 camp trail cameras. I'll go out, have my trail camera spread out on several properties. I'll find, man, I'm lucky to find two deer, two deer I'm going to pursue. And I will pull my cameras into those areas where those two deer are for sure. And I, and I will learn them and, and I will watch them until until I feel like it's time, but when they're starting to daylight at a certain stand, I will not hunt that stand until I know I can go in there and kill him. Hmm. That I mean, See, th this is. I'm sorry, Parker. I was I was just gonna say it's crazy though because like we've had guys say the exact opposite, but still apply the same principles. Yeah. Oh, they go hunt every chance they get. Like hunt, 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 hunt. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, but but they also stack it in their favor, and they just have a bunch of different spots, and so they can go to numerous different spots. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do I but, do that some. I do that some. Right. Yeah, I'll have I'll have some options in my region, but the thing is, I am very meticulous about not letting that buck know that there's presence and danger. Yeah. I think one of the things, if, if I've learned anything doing this with, with Parker and like listening to all these guys is that, um, uh, some of your, um, more, you know, trivia guys, guys that kill, kill big deer consistently are very patient. Yes. Um, and then they go all in. Yes. That's I mean, Parker that's is, is, is that pretty much? it's like, yeah, it's like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And then there may be a small window. And when that buck is starting to daylight in the area, I'll go in and I'll hunt like a day or two. And then I'll, uh, because of a weather pattern or something, it'll warm back up. He'll quit using in daylight. I'll pull back out. Yeah, it's exact. And then, and then when it, but like you said, when it's time, yeah, uh, me and a lot of other guys that hunt this area have that kind of mentality. When it's time to be in the woods, you better be there. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And that right, may not right. necessarily and be the rut. The exactly. Right, right. It may, it, it may be the rut, but. Usually if it's during the rut, I'm pulling my hair out because I've got 10 cameras out on a deer and he's on all 10 cameras. <laughs> hey, so I've got a question. Are you, um, two actually, you running uh, cell cams? Yes, I do. So how, what does it look like whenever you, let's say there's a deer, you, you find mm -hmm. one hit on a trail camera and, yep. and you want to pursue that deer and you get the other trail cameras up. How are you, how are you placing those cameras to where you aren't adding too much pressure and you're not pushing mm -hmm. too much to where you can still make a good plan, still have good Intel to, you know, you know, get the hunt going. I got a good answer for you for that. So I have what I've, I've kind of come up with uh, within my mind, what I call, a grid technique. So basically I will get on my Onyx. I, I do a tremendous, tremendous amount of, of online scouting with Onyx because, you know, you can drop your pins, you can save all your points. You can, you can do so much there now that you can, uh, they've just integrated recently where you can, um, 
where you can pan like you could on Google Earth and you can see the contours of the land. Very, mm -hmm. very effective. But I use I use to the topo map version and the satellite version and do and do so much scouting on there it's ridiculous but what i'll do is every time and i'll on my app and and before i even go into an area like if i get a big buck on on one camera okay so i know he's in that spot so what i'll do from that point i will look at the terrain features and i will i will build a grid around that one camera so what I'll do is I will then, if it's if it's cell cameras, I don't have to go back out. But I will yeah. go back out like two weeks later if it's a non-cell camera deal, and I'll pull my cameras, uh, pull my cards, and if I look at those cameras and those that deer is is using like say more in the southwest corner, I will go to the northeast corner, pull all my cameras, and then leapfrog over top and put my cameras on the other side. Eventually, I'm going to paint a picture of exactly the pattern where that deer yeah. traveling. That's cool. And just making just making a grid. Um, yep. I mean, and really what you can do uh, for guys to be able to parallel this, too, a lot of times um, I'm able to figure out, what, especially if I'm doing like a like a scout hunt type thing, I mean, essentially, that's what you're doing is you're creating that. So you go into scout and you find a rub and you mark that on your map. You find another rub, you mark that on your map and you start marking all these things. It eventually starts. You start finding puzzle like pieces. Yeah. Puzzle pieces. It's like, OK, well, that just made a perfect L right here. It's probably this same deer. If it's a straight line and all of a sudden it cuts that way and keeps going that way, you've probably found what that deer is doing. And so you're basically in a bigger picture, in a bigger grid, in a bigger map, putting that piece together with these pictures. And so, um, and, and in these, this terrain stuff, you, yeah, go ahead. I don't know. I don't know if you can see this any at all, but I'm going to give it a run. So Hold on, I'm going I'm to screenshot it. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so if you go into an area like this and so this is the good thing about using these using apps on your phone is um is once you once you find this intel out you can start to learn like historically where these deer like to use coming into the pre-rut i have scrapes marked that the buck that i i'm i'm wanting to pursue right now there is a scrape. I know he rubs every year. And in two years from now, I know that I will probably be pursuing that, that buck. And I'm probably going to be really close to that scrape whenever I'm after him. So mm -hmm. basically, you know, you're looking at this area and you go into this, you know, you're creating a, you know, history. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, docu you're documenting the history of everything, you know, all yep. the scouting, everything that you're doing. Um, and you're putting it on that map and year after year you'll find that even like when you harvest one buck like another buck will take over like his range you know and and start to to dominate that area and he will sometimes use that same he'll use some even the same of the same trees to rub yeah that, that's, that's what's cool about yeah public and private it's like a lot of spots public and that, private that applies yeah you find that are yeah. just gold mines are gonna yeah. 
usually produce if something you know doesn't go crazy like timber being cut or stuff like that will usually produce yeah. you know the year every year yeah 100 100 percent. yeah yeah using your maps to document those like historical that historical sign those 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 community scrapes that are hit year after year and, and then it's funny after you start putting all the the pins on the map it like paints a picture and you're like oh i see what's happening so that buck is he's over here early season and this is something i learned a lot too that that deer travel you know that they'll in our region they'll travel in the summer uh they'll be in a very different area than they are mid mid fall you know going into november um so so learning where they're they're traveling from in the summer and going to in the fall a lot of times they will go back to where they were in the summer in the late season because there's a lot of forage there yeah yeah let me yeah. let me ask you this um sorry i cut you off drew but but before we, I don't want to get off of this uh, kind of how you what you said you're you're recording the history and like so many of us do with our maps we mark things and we remember yes. those things that's why we mark them is yes. there are there things do you use a lot of this intel to um, kind of maybe centralize different uh, I think you called it a shot plot or kill plots. Um, if you, if you start noticing like, man, year after year, after year, after year, there's bucks right here. Does that influence you at all to go and plant something right there in that area? Or is that just a sign that you're like, I'm just going to let it keep doing what it does. Hmm. You know, I, I, sometimes I will look at, look at an area and see what it has. Like if it's a, you know, if it's a, if it is an oak flat or if it's a, you know, if it's a timbered area, I'll, I'll sort of see how the layout of the land runs. Um, honestly, I found at like in our area, we, we just got such little opportunity to plant. We, you just got to kind of plant, <laughs> plant where you can. And then wherever you're positioned based off where the deer wants to go to bed, that then you start to develop the plan from there but uh but yeah you try you in our our region you just got to kind of you just got to kind of do work with what you got <laughs> so i you don't really it, have the options the thing that made me think about that is um like when you we've probably all seen guys like this um or or and i'm from texas so this is definitely what people do in texas where sure. you uh <laughs> you have a spot and you're like, man, I've been seeing deer here this whole time. I'm going to throw a pile of corn out right there. And I'm going to hunt this spot. And then all of a sudden you've made that spot no longer a place that's any good because you went in and you kind of messed up the reason why they were using that area in the first place. So that was kind of yeah. what I was wondering if, if you're, if you find that your mountain plots, um, you know, if, if you go too buck wild on them, if they can potentially mess up, something that you have um pinpointed as a good area yeah I've, I've had it happen many times especially since there's bear because if you go in and you put corn and uh supplemental feed out that uh, you you have you have drawn them into the area where you don't want them to be mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah and and i found that you know if you are going to use supplemental feed do not do not i say one more time do not put it in a pile 
I will, the places I do use, I do use some supplemental feed. I will, I will take a 50 pound bag and I will cover a hundred yard wide by 200 yard long stretch and I will spread it. Deer, deer luck. They're, they're made to browse. They're not made to set and just, uh, um, not just, you know, eat in a pile there. And, and that also keeps the, uh, keeps oh. the, like the hogs and the and the bear from just you know going into a spot and devouring, you know it's a, it's a lot more natural to to do that. So do yes, you, I have had I've had that happen. <laughs> do you find that the bears um, does that mess with your plots at all? Do bear I don't I don't know anything about bears, but do they very little? The very little and like an area down your all's way, I would be very careful about the uh, the winter species that i chose because i know that hogs they like turnips <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean they now i don't know have do do hog you guys can tell me this do do hogs do they do they target like clover i don't know man. i haven't don't seen them target clover okay see that would be that would be something what i would do i would i would do some research even go out and experiment some and um you know try some different species See what they, you know, if you're getting hogs, problems with hogs, you know, using your tubers and your, your turnips and your, uh, and your radishes, because uh, I do know that they will eat those. Now, and, but with the bear, I have, I've never had any problem with any type of vegetation. Uh, n- never, never. That's, Which is that's cool. one that's of the reasons I like the plots. Yeah. It gets you, yeah, it gets you away from, from the drawing the bear. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's what I like about the plots. Man, I I feel like that would make somebody a very popular person if you could come up with a solution for hogs and planning. Matt, yeah, are are you? Uh, Matt's about to blow our minds. I feel like he just he just looked up. Your mic's off, bro. Your we mic's can't not we on, can't man. even hear you. Can you hear? Can you hear me now? Well, yeah, you know. so good it went okay. silent. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so they've actually talking about the hogs. (laughs) (laughs) No, so I have a thing. I, I've killed a lot of hogs. Don't like them. They just torment deer, everything. Uh, but no, they've, uh, they've done a bunch of research and they're on the break of having a pill, a poison pill, uh, that, that hogs can consume and will kill them. So (laughs) that would be fantastic. America. Wow. We're just yeah. going to start walking in the woods, finding dead pigs everywhere. Laying all over the place. Pigs will eat each other. Yeah, yeah I, wow. I do know that. Yes. I have heard that. Yeah, so. so for all of our PETA fans out there, that's Matthew Reeves at gmail.com. <laughs> so. That's very, very close. <laughs> oh. Oh. I like big I bucks and I cannot lie at gmail. <laughs> dot com <laughs> hey, we know that's true for parker on the last podcast yes yeah. it is big yes, bucks it is. Uh, <laughs> I, I, we're not going there fellas hey David, we're not I, we're not I, I have a i have a question um kind of maybe wrap it all up and, and sum it up um because we, we always haven't had onyx and we always haven't had trail cams um so yeah. uh like going back to that 19 20 year old david you know that has permission to hunt his grandfather's 40 acre piece, you know, or, or a guy at church says, Oh yeah, you, 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 you can come hunt this. You know, what would you yeah. tell that guy that's nine to five blue collar works hard, only has maybe Saturday and um, Sunday, you know, to hunt. 
how can what is one thing that you would encourage them to do to improve whether that be public or private and um and so just kind of take us down that road real quick if you don't mind yeah i would number one not spread yourself too thin i've done that in the past <laughs> uh, i would go into these regions and i would find old i would go in this time of year i would go into areas and i would find old sign that i felt was laid down from the past year i would find old scrapes and i would i would mentally just kind of log that and and don't get too overwhelmed i would look at saddles i would look for draws and you know in ridges you know terrain features where deer like to cross uh those kind of things points because the thing is on and saddles and ridges and on points, like when you get down in the hollows, you're going to deal with the, the interaction of those thermals, which will drive you nuts. So you, when you get on the points and you get on the ridges, that's going to give you the ability to be able to work with the wind. So, so what I would, I would scout those point saddle ridge areas uh, and, and look for the sign there where the deer are crossing and, and look for that terrain, those terrain features. That's what I used to do for years. Now I put a, that's the reason my knees are the way that they are because <laughs> I've put many, many, many miles on, uh, on my boots back in the day. Um, and, uh, I didn't have an ATV until I was 25. So, and up until that point, I was just, I would have to walk, but, but around that time, around the 20, I guess 25, yeah, 26, uh, range. I got an ATV and I got I got a map mapping system, and that and and about that time, right after that, right around that time, the trail cameras came along. Mm -hmm. So all, all of those came into the and that that has helped me like save my mm -hmm. body from wear and tear, you know. But up until then, I was just beating myself to death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I, from I, a yeah. from a land improvement what is, what is something that that a guy that can do with like a four-wheeler um you know very minimal stuff i know we kind of already yeah. touched on it some oh but it, yeah. is there is there anything else maybe like a, a nugget or something that, oh, that yeah, you man. would say go 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 pick up go pick up you an inexpensive uh spreader like a, a spreader attack implement attachment that you can that, stuff. yeah you can even do backpack stuff yeah but you can do a, either a, a backpack sprayer or you can do a small sprayer for your ATV with a, with a boom or a wand that you can spray mm -hmm. to spray herbicide. And honestly, just spraying natives and planting into those natives that's already there. You don't have to cut. You don't have to do anything. So, so just, uh, you know, getting a sprayer, getting some type of a spreader to be able to put down lime or a hand spreader. I have limed with a hand, hand spreader more times than I'd like to think about. So yeah, you can, you can lime with those hand spreaders and you can also fertilize with them. So yeah, a spreader and a, and a sprayer, uh, you can, you can do some magical stuff. That just pumps me up. Is, is there, is there resources, David, that you know of that a guy can, uh, go and kind of learn a lot more of the maybe the the ratios and the science and the the numbers for all this kind of stuff if they want to get started in in uh these type of plots i'll tell you what Grant, here and this is why i'm i'm wanting to come up come out with some of this stuff um right now up until this point you know you got jeff sturgis and you got grant woods doing some great stuff 
man, they, they are good, very knowledgeable. You'll learn a lot. Go watch as many of their YouTube videos as you can. But um, through Appalachian Range Outdoors, the, our YouTube page, I'm going to I'm going to start creating some of these videos to help people um, to just little short films like out in the mountains doing some of these shot plots, uh, you know, doing some maintenance stuff. I've got I've got gigs of information already already shot. I just I just need to put it together. And and now that I've started this kind of mountain management thing, trying to help people, um, it's 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 pushing me to, to actually do it. So so hopefully I'll have that within the next few months. I'll have have some little short, just real time videos, short clips for that. That will help steer some people. You yeah. kind of mentioned, hey, you, 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 I was going to say you kind of mentioned you uh, um do mountain management and stuff. Is that, is that a service that you offer for other yeah. landowners? <laughs> yep, it is. I just started this year up for the past eight years. I've done it for just me and my friends. I've, I've been, I've been actually doing this out in the mountains, gosh, learning the hard way, messing up a lot uh, for about 18 years. And for the past seven or eight years, I've been doing it myself, helping other people just around. And now that I feel like, I've, I've got a, a really good feel for it. I've, uh, I've stepped out this year, um, and, uh, uh, started going out and helping people with their properties here in, here in the mountains. And so far I've did, I've, I've done, uh, gosh, it's been, it's been a month since I announced it. I've, I've done a couple properties in Ohio and, uh, I've done about eight properties here in West Virginia and it's, it's, it's going really good, but I, I just, I enjoy sharing the, what I, I, Grant Woods even said this. He said, he said, by all means, he said, listen to my tactics. He said, and, and adapt them into your process. But he said, be sure to listen to what I say, because what I have learned the hard way, you will not have to go through that. <laughs> and that that's kind of where I'm at. Like, you know, through the, through the craziness, like me going out here in my, front yard in an acre acre little plot out here in my front literally my front yard planting strips like eight strips to find out what species will work best and that's so true watching the deer which ones they prefer to eat like in our region and you know those those little things like that has what is what makes the difference and that's that's appalachian range outdoors is that right yeah yeah you can look up the youtube channel and uh my uh my let's see instagram is dave is outdoors or uh, david miller on facebook yeah fantastic hey man. i seen your friend request while we're doing this and it showed that you had four thousand nine hundred ninety nine subscribers so you can just add me as that last one <laughs> i will do that right now and i'm in the process of starting a like i guess it's like the business account kind of deal where where you know you you just get the likes so if people that it'll, yeah it'll, yeah more opportunity for people to to be able to interact that way. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 going to be doing that soon too. Awesome, yeah. man! And uh, before we let you go, you don't have to tell the whole story because we've taken up a lot of your time. But uh, oh, you, you pulled up you pulled up a um, a bunch of bone like this just a second ago yeah. before we recorded. Yes. It looked like you pulled it out yeah. of your pocket. Tell us about this deer that you killed this season, man. <laughs> I'll just show you one more time. Look at that mass. <laughs> I'm really unprepared. <laughs> oh. Hey Parker, let's uh, let's see those deer behind you. Yeah, you want to see some of these? <laughs> hey, hey Luke, let's look at let's look at your deer from this season. Don't do it. I knew you were gonna say it. Don't do it. 
Don't look at my track record from this year. Just go back to the, the year before. Um, <laughs> tell me. You know, this, this buck was just a big uh, – what were you going to say? I was just going to – exactly what you're saying. I was just going to ask you about the deer. Yeah. Um, man, it was a, uh, it was an interesting journey. Uh, he, he pushed me a little bit to the, to my limit. Um, he was not patterning. Um, I had, let me think one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine. I had about 10 cameras in the area he was living and he would be in this one region for a while and then he would leave and i do i still to this day don't know where he was going um i, I leapfrogged i did all of my tactics that i normally do and he was not playing the game um but i was confident that he would be back because uh the does were staying around in that region where, where i was um i made a crucial mistake by going i, I always hunt those points ridges and and I usually am very good about being patient and waiting for the right time, but I felt like it was getting away from me because by this time it was almost through the first rut completely through. Um, I'd been chasing actually two other bucks that were, that were larger than him in different areas. Um, but they, uh, they both were taken on uh, like adjacent tracks of property. So, so it kind of, it put me in a hard spot. So, um, so I shift gears and I come back to chase this, this old buck. He was, I've watched him for, for several years. He's, he's either seven or eight this year. And I was, um, I was just kind of watching him go from region, you know, move out of the region and come back, move out of the region. Well, he came back, got him on a cell camera. Um, two days later, I, I noticed he came in daylight. So that was kind of that trigger game on, you know, he's starting to move in daylight. He, he, I think he came back in the area to, to check the, the harem of does in that region. I think he went <coughs> away during the rut to, 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 to breed a, a group of does. And then he came back to his home range, uh, to the does he's nor used to being around the primarily primary part of the year. So this, uh, so he came back into the area. I decided I didn't want, I was not going to hunt my primary stand. I was being patient with, I was going to go down off this point and try to get my thermals right. I went in at three o'clock one morning, took screw in step, climbed a tree. I hunt pretty high. I was about, you know, between 35, right around 35, 40 feet. And, and when I got, when I got set up that morning, I, I had an encounter with him, but the wind shifted and he busted me. I thought that was it for the year. I was like, well, that's done. But uh, he stuck around and a week and a half later, um, I got in, I got into that. I saw, saw him coming into that one stand I've been waiting on all year. And I saw that he came in the day before, like well in daylight checking these does. So I went in the next day, the high was going to be, I would look at the weather, the high was going to be 34. And, uh, this front was pushing in and I was like, this is, this is the day I went and set my stand and I was kicked back, just relaxing, had my leg up across my other leg. And I was just in chill mode. Uh, I got in there at three, about three fifteen that evening and at four o'clock, uh, or no, about three forty-five. Two do the two doe come in that he had, he came in and was checking. I was like, well, that's cool. And so I'm sitting there just watching the does and I heard a 
heard leaves rustling behind me and I looked and 30 yards behind me, he, he was coming off the point. He came down four yards of my tree and then, then out to the does. And, uh, and that's, that's when I, I let him get out about 25 yards and got him, but, but it was, it was frustrating trying to just trying to, to be patient and wait for the right time. <laughs> Then those other two bucks had been harvested. It was just one of those. It was a tough year for me, to be honest. It came together, but it was hard. That's uh, that's cool, and and it just kind of goes to show that you, I mean, you put all this work in, put all this sweat equity in, and the deer are still deer, and they're still going to do what they like to do. Um, they are now. Did they are? Did you kill this deer in one of your in one of your plots or anything like that? No, no, not this one. This area, matter of fact, it it only ha- it has two gas wells that I've uh, that I've planted in the past at, with a clover blend, a shade tolerant clover blend, um, but to no to not much avail. I mean, it's just one of those. I'm not allowed to cut any timber to allow any more sunlight mm-hmm. in, so I'm very very limited. Uh, but no, this is just a, all a giant track, probably within that region. There was no really true field areas, probably for uh, 25 or 30 miles. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. All timber. Man, uh, that's been, this has been great. I've, I feel like I've learned a lot. I feel like I just enjoyed the conversation. Just, uh, yeah, man. You um, guys too. So, man, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Any, anybody else have anything? Any other questions for David that you uh just been eating at your soul? That's been great. Enjoyed it. Yeah, this is fantastic. I mean, it, it's just super encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, and the, you, one more thing, you know, the elk, I know you guys are big in the public thing, the elk restoration project, you know, that enabled uh Southern West Virginia for us to have about I think thirty, maybe around thirty thousand acres of uh, of public land. Um, if you guys ever venture up here to West Virginia and want some direction, uh, I would be glad to help you guys. Absolutely. Are we talking about elk or the deer? I don't know. The deer. Um, just 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 asking. I'm just just saying. Definitely can't hunt the elk. <laughs> we, should take a, we should take a guy's trip. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you guys ever wanted to come up here, I'll, I'll point you in a direction. Yeah. There's, there's some adventure to be seen here. Yeah. Fantastic. Really awesome. David, thank you so much again for coming on the show. Guys, make sure you check out Appalachian. It's Appalachian, right? Not Appalachian. Appalachian Range, Appalachian Range uh-huh. Outdoors on YouTube and, yep. uh, and learn some more of this stuff, man. It's been, been awesome thanks again for coming on the show and uh yeah guys we'll talk to you next week thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the southern ground hunting podcast as always a big shout out to all of our partners that's go wild spartan forge tethered new canoe and scree gear you can keep up with southern ground hunting by following us on facebook and instagram or you can subscribe to us on the youtube channel and make sure you check out southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch, hats, t-shirts, stickers, stuff like that. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you here again next week. Remember this, God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.